again, uh, once again, uh, we're definitely bummed that we can't all be here uh, together in person, but nevertheless, we're grateful. I'm grateful that we can still uh, do this. Thank you for joining us online. For those of you who had signed up to be here, thank you for uh, being flexible, for dealing with all our emails, texts, phone calls this morning, and for just your graciousness and understanding uh, of being able to do this here today. Well, we are continuing our way through the book of Romans, and I know we've been doing that for, for quite some time, uh, but we are entering our final stretch. And today's passage that we'll be looking at is Romans chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 13. So if you're following along with us, if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles there, open up your Bible apps, uh, it's not going to be up on the screen because I, I didn't put together the slides. Uh, but Romans chapter 14, 1 through 13. And in today's passage, uh, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul addressing a very specific situation that the church in Rome was dealing with at the time. Now, as many of you know, Paul has spent the majority of this letter telling them about all that God has done for them, who they once were and who they are now. And in light of all that God has done for them, all that they have received through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, all that's been given to them that they've received by faith, through grace, proper response right, is to live this life as a living sacrifice. Romans 12 to 13, he says, be committed to one another, the church. Be kind and gracious to all people, including your enemies. Submit to authorities and, in essence, love your neighbors. And now Paul is going to apply all of those truths to this one particular situation. In essence, what Paul is saying is, the reason I told you all that I've told you, the reason I've told you all that, is so I can now tell you this, which makes it pretty important, pretty significant. So beginning with verse 1, Romans 14, verse 1, Paul writes, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. I'm just going to stop right there. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't know about uh, this specific church in Rome. Right? We don't know everything there is to know about every single person. And here, Paul isn't concerned about telling us all that there is to know about them. Rather, he's mainly concerned about them. So while there's a lot we don't know, there are some things that we can know. For one, there seems to be those in the church whose faith Paul refers to as strong. And that there are those in the church who Paul refers to as having faith that is weak. And there is tension that is brewing between those two groups. Some kind of conflict, disagreement that has led to perhaps a little bit of animosity, perhaps even hostility. And this tension between these two groups, it all revolves around an issue that Paul refers to as a disputable matter. In other words, it's not a matter of salvation. Uh, the gospel is not on the line. It's not a matter of life and death, heaven or hell. It's a disputable matter. 
Nevertheless, these believers, this church, have allowed this conflict to get in the way. They've allowed it to divide them, to cause disunity. They've allowed it to get in the way of love and acceptance. Now, in this section, Paul is going to address both the strong and the weak. Next week, we're going to look at Paul addressing the strong. But today, we're going to focus our attention on Paul addressing the weak. And the reason we're going to start there is because that's where Paul focuses attention first. He begins this section by addressing those whose faith is weak. Now, I can't speak on behalf of every single human being who has ever lived throughout history. But I think for most people, including a lot of us, we don't appreciate being called weak. And it's worse to be called out as weak in front of other people who aren't weak. Now, some of us, we're comfortable with self-deprecating comments or jokes about ourselves and admitting to certain weaknesses. But it's different when somebody else calls us weak, which is why a lot of times we don't use that kind of language, right? Like, I've never been to a SoulFit workout and never heard any of the coaches, Nick, Tina, Daniel, say, all right, this workout is for those of you who are strong, and this workout is for those of you who are weak. I've never coached a basketball game, called timeout at the end of the game and, you know, score out of reach either by winning by a lot or losing by a lot. And I've never said, okay, kids, we're going to take out all of our strong players and put in all of you weak players. Never said that once. Right here at church, right, we've never had classes or events for strong believers and other classes for weak believers, right? We, we don't use that kind of language. We don't like to call people weak because we don't appreciate being called weak. But here Paul is beginning this section by calling out the weak. And he does it by calling them weak. Now it's hard not to wonder, right, whether those listening would have immediately known who he was talking about or whether they were a little unsure. Like, was their immediate response was to think to themselves, like, I wonder who he's talking about. Like, he's talking about me? Or was their response like, oh gosh, he's talking about me. Or he's talking about them. Well, just in case there was a little bit of ambiguity, just in case there was a little bit of uncertainty, in the case that there was a lack of clarity, Paul literally spells it out for them in the very next sentence. So if you look at verse 2, he says, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now before anybody gets offended, before anybody shuts off this live stream, I want to be extremely clear about one thing. Paul is not talking about Pastor Nick. He is not talking about vegans, vegetarians, plant-based diet people. As we'll soon see, it's a totally different circumstance, uh, different context, different motivation. 
Just imagine that. If we were to begin this service, if I were to, to get up here and say, today I'm going to speak to all of you believers who are weak. Uh, one person's faith allows them to drive any kind of car. Another person whose faith is weak drives a Honda. Like, imagine how uncomfortable and awkward we would feel. Now, if we were here in person, it'd be a lot worse being out in the parking lot because we could literally see each other's cars. But even not being together in person, like, we know for the most part what kind of cars we drive. We know who has a Honda and, and who doesn't. I mean, just in this room, I can kind of look around and see people who drive Hondas. Owen, Mark, Nikki, Matt. I know some of you at home, Pastor Donna, Ryan, Jerry, mom and dad, right? Like we know who drives what. And it just seems kind of weird to, to put people on blast like that, to call them out as weak by calling them weak and telling everyone who's weak. And if we were to do something like that, it would feel like kind of mean kind of harsh, unless, hypothetically, unless every single person who drove a Honda thought they were better than everyone else. You see, Paul is speaking to a group of Jewish Christians who chose to refrain from eating meat because of their history with the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament Law. Under the Mosaic Law, there were strict guidelines as to what meats they were allowed to eat and how it needed to be prepared. And even though these Christians were free from the law, even though they were no longer bound to it through Jesus, a lot of them just couldn't get themselves to eat bacon and not feel bad about it, to not feel as if they were doing something wrong. And because they couldn't go to the market and guarantee that the meat they were buying wasn't somehow, some way contaminated, because they couldn't guarantee that it was 100% kosher, many of them just chose to avoid all meats altogether just to be safe. And in this way, their faith was weak. Right? It wasn't weak in a sense that they were always doubting their salvation or questioning God's love for them, but it was weak in the sense that they weren't fully able to experience the freedom that they were given in Christ. But this in and of itself, it, that wasn't the problem. As we'll soon see, Paul will tell them, if you only want to eat vegetables, that's fine. Eat vegetables and give thanks and glory to God. But here was the problem. Paul would tell them, it, it's okay to eat just vegetables, but do not judge your brothers and sisters who eat meat. In other words, don't let it bother you. Don't criticize. Don't condemn. Don't feel superior. Don't look down upon them. And the reason Paul tells them that is because they were bothered. They were being critical. They did look down upon those who ate meat. They did feel superior. They were judgmental. And they allowed it 
to get in the way of love and acceptance. And in this way, their faith was weak too. Now I know sometimes we can hear things like this and it's easy for us to dismiss this kind of behavior as, well, it's just called life, right? This is just people being people. But what Paul is saying here is that this kind of attitude is, is really hurtful to the body of Christ. It really gets in the way of what God is trying to do. You see, when we have a negative attitude towards someone else, when we have a critical spirit, when we look down upon someone, when we feel superior, when we harbor bitterness, resentment, even subtle dislike, it prevents them from experiencing the kingdom of God. Right? How we feel about someone affects how we treat them. Everything we say, everything we don't say. Everything we do, everything we don't do. How we treat them affects what they experience. And thus, if we judge someone, they will feel judged. So Paul says, stop it. Knock it off. Which we all know is so much easier said than done. It's hard to change the way that we feel about someone else, especially those who are different, those who may disagree. So Paul will go on to tell us two things we have to do, two things we need to do in order to change our thinking, change our attitude towards others. So continuing on, verses 3 to 4, he says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So the first thing Paul says we need to do in order to guard ourselves from judging others he says we need to remind ourselves that when it comes to people who are different, people who disagree, God is their king, which implies that we're not their king. We're not their master. We don't get to dictate or control what they think or how they behave. Paul says to these Jewish Christians that when it comes to your brothers and sisters who, who love chicken wings and hot links, God accepts them. And this isn't just the kind of like God tolerates or God puts up with kind of acceptance. This is a Romans 1 through 11 kind of acceptance. As in they are fully loved, fully forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ, holy and righteous in the sight of God, adopted as sons and daughters, filled with the Holy Spirit, invaluable to the body of Christ kind of acceptance. And he says, because God is their king, they are either going to stand or fall before him. But those people, they will stand because God is able to make them stand. In other words, you don't need to worry about them. You don't need to stress about them. You don't need to be bothered or agitated by them because God's got them. He's got them. 
Uh, when I was coaching my uh, daughter's basketball team, and it's been a while since, you know, I've been able to do that. But there were times when I used to be coaching the games, and I'd be on the bench with one or two other assistant coaches, coaches uh, who were also dads to girls that were playing. Uh, there would be times during the game where one of the players who was one of the coach's daughters, she would maybe make a mistake or do something wrong. And before I could even say anything, uh, the other coach, her dad, would yell out to me, get her out of the game, take her out. So I would send in a sub, and as she would be making her way towards the sideline, I'd kind of look over to my other coach, and he'd kind of give me a look, which would basically say, I got this. I got it. So I would just give her a high five, compliment her on something good that she did, knowing that she was going to hear exactly what she needed to hear the way she needed to hear it. And once they were done with their conversation, once she was ready to go, I would just send her back into the game. In the same way, what God is saying is when it comes to other believers, God's got it. He's going to raise them up. He's going to teach them. He's going to bless them. He's going to cause them to grow, mature according to his plans, his purposes, his will. And as they grow, they may become more similar to you or more different. They may one day grow to agree with you. They may never agree with you. But because God is their king and they are his servants, God's going to do whatever he wants to do. So we are completely free to love them for who they are just the way they are. So Paul says that one thing we need to do when it comes to other believers is we need to constantly remind ourselves that God is their king too. And then continuing on, final section of this passage for this morning, verses 5 to 13. He says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. So the second thing that Paul tells us to do to guard ourselves from a judgmental attitude towards others. He says we need to remind ourselves that God is our king. God is our king. He says one day every single one of us are going to stand before God and give an account on everything that we've ever done and everything we, we didn't do. And while this is a sobering reminder that is humbling, it's not a threat. Paul is not saying, you better stop judging or else God's going to judge you. He's saying you need to remember your standing before God. 
You need to remember who you once were, where you once were, and how you got here. You need to remember that God accepts you. And this isn't just the kind of God tolerates or puts up with kind of acceptance. This is a Romans 1 through 11 kind of acceptance, as in you are fully loved, fully forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus, holy and righteous in the sight of God, adopted as sons and daughters filled with the Holy Spirit, invaluable to the body of Christ kind of acceptance. In other words, God is with you and for you. He is working for your good. If God wants to change you, you'll change. If he doesn't want to change you, you won't change. But you're good with God, and he's good with you. So you don't need to worry. You don't need to stress about other people's opinions, whether they agree or disagree. Their opinions does not affect how God sees you. So don't allow their opinions to affect how you see them. In other words, what Paul is saying is we need to be so content with who we are. We need to be so confident in what we believe that we are completely free to love others regardless of who they are and what they believe. Now, throughout the history of the church, not just this church, but churches in general, there have always been disagreements over disputable matters. And sadly enough, oftentimes we allow those differences to cause division, disunity, dissension between one another. And the same is true of churches and Christians today. I think it's safe to say that we all have various opinions on all different kinds of subjects. Right? Opinions on COVID, opinions on politics, church, music, money, education, injustices. And the reality is, for a lot of us, we may never even have a conversation on these topics. We may never have an actual debate or an all-out disagreement but it's hard to not feel different about those who are different, those who disagree, those who have a different stance, take a different position, lean in a different direction. And it's easy at times to feel a little critical. It's easy to feel superior, to look down upon someone to get upset, to be bothered, to be agitated, to let it get in the way of love and acceptance. And what Paul is saying, what this scripture is telling us is this really hurts the church. It hurts the body of Christ. It gets in the way of what God is wanting to do. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have disagreements. It doesn't mean that we can't grieve over someone's opinion. It doesn't mean that we can't engage in a healthy dialogue. It doesn't mean that we can't try and convince somebody. But regardless, we are called to see others the way God sees them. We are called to feel what he feels. And we are called to love them the way that God 
loves them. And that requires a kind of faith that is not weak, but a faith that is strong. So as we close our time this morning, as the, the worship team uh, comes back up to continue us this time with worship and praise and singing, let us come before God. Let us ask Him to give us a greater faith. To give us the faith to be able to see people the way He sees them. To feel what He feels. A faith that would enable us to love others the way that He loves them. Let me pray for us. Good and gracious Father, we come before you and we thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you've given to us. And God, as we consider all that you've done for us, as we consider just the mercy and the grace that you extend moment by moment, day after day, I pray that you would give us the faith to do the same to others. That when it comes to those who are different, those who may disagree with us, I pray that you would enable us, you would empower us to love them the way you love God. Pray that you would enable us to fully experience your kingdom here on earth, here at this church, here in this community, God. So God, give us what only you can give. Give us this kind of faith. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.